You're listening to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I'm here to help facilitate conversations around what it means to step into your confidence so you can live the life you want, not the one you think you should. Join me as we talk about body and self-acceptance, nutrition, movement, and mindset so that you can uncover what dulls your sparkle so you can shine. With that, let's go to the show. Hello, friends. Okay. This is a big one. This is a big one. If you are new to the Captivatingly Confident podcast, welcome. I'm so thrilled that you're here. My name is Kim Ludeman. And I am the host of the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about myself in just a couple minutes, but I wanted to preface this episode with a a disclaimer, a warning, kind of a little like flashing red light, just to say that this is not a normal episode. I have felt called with this podcast to go a little bit deeper into some of my own personal struggles. And I was going to do a separate podcast, and I don't think I'm going to. I had this whole plan, and I was going to move forward with all sorts of stuff with the Reveal podcast, but I think what I want to do instead is to bring it to this show, to bring it to you, my current audience, because one, you've asked for it, and two, it's important. It is important to share stories and trials because that is how we alchemize our own pain. That is how we connect. That's how we build community. That's how we feel seen and supported. When someone shares a story and you resonate, you feel connected, you feel seen, you feel a part of something, you feel grounded. And that's what I want to offer. So, We're going to have special episodes called Reveal Episodes, and these are episodes that are focused a little bit more on internal struggles. These are conversations where I imagine you sitting across from me with a cup of coffee or tea, and we're just chatting, and we're sharing life together, and we're taking a moment away from the busyness and the chaos, especially this time of year. And we're just talking and we're sharing stories. So I've got my cup of coffee right here and I'm so looking forward to talking with you and sharing this with you. Now, that said, this episode is about faith. And I feel so many emotions and feelings. I'm probably going to cry. I might swear. I might yell. I don't know. I'm just going to leave open space for this conversation because as I've shared just a teensy, like, little bit, there's been a huge response, huge response, and I know this conversation needs to be had, and I'm terrified and excited and nervous, and I just trust that you're going to get out of it what you're going to need. And I invite you to take it with a grain of salt and to just just listen and know that so many people are in this place. And you probably know of people in this place. They just haven't talked about it because it's hard. It's hard to talk about faith. So hard. 
some of my favorite episodes from my favorite podcasters, people like Maddie Moon and Megan Hale, have been about their experiences with faith as well. And they're some of the most influential episodes I've listened to. So I invite you to grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea if you're on the treadmill or doing dishes or driving in the car, just to have an open mind as we enter into this really interesting conversation. So let's dive in, shall we? Okay, here we go. I have been a evangelical, non-denominational Christian since I can remember. I remember being five, sitting on the floor of cool church, kids' church, and Tori was our female pastor. And I can still remember the feel of the carpet and the tape. Do you remember when you were in kindergarten or that age where they had tape on the floor so you knew where to sit so you stayed in your box? Yeah. I Anyway, I digress. Okay. So I still remember the feel of the tape and the carpet on the floor and my heart pounding when Pastor Tori said, does anybody want to ask Jesus into their heart? And my little five-year-old hand shot up in the air because I wanted to be loved. I wanted Jesus to be my friend. That sounded really cool. I wanted in on that. And so I prayed the prayer, and I remember asking Jesus into my heart and being saved at five. And it only grew from there. I am a passionate person, friends, and when there is something that I believe in, I go all out. Like, I don't half-ass anything. (laughs) My cat has decided to join us, so don't mind if she meows. I don't half-ass anything. So I took my faith very seriously. My mom and I went to church anywhere from two to three times a week whether that was Wednesday night youth group or Bible study or like a midweek service opportunity. And then Sunday, we went to church. Sometimes we'd go Sunday night too. Like we were hardcore, me and mom. My dad worked nights and wasn't really into the Christian faith. So it was just us two. We were in cahoots and we did so much church. At first we were at um, an AG church which is Assemblies of God, and I went through the Missionettes program, which is basically like Christian Girl Scouts. And that was a huge accomplishment. I did that for six years, and I graduated as an honor star. Are there any, are you, have you, has anyone ever heard of Missionettes? I feel like I talk about it, and hardly anybody knows what that is. But it, it was a really intense program, and it, it meant a lot to me. And I graduated at 13, and then we moved churches. And we started going to Adventure Christian Church in Roseville, California. And they were meeting in a high school at Rockland High. And, you know, we'd sit on the cold folding chairs and listen to Rick Stedman, who was the pastor. And my mom said, you know what? We need to switch churches. This is where we need to be. And so we stayed with Adventure for years. And it was right around like 12, 13, that my parents started to see some changes in me struggling with being who I thought I should be versus who I really was. And so they put me in a Christian school 
So from seventh grade through high school, I went to Forest Lake Christian School, and it was an hour away from my house. So I rode the bus two hours a day, five days a week, and made some really good friends. And I loved that school. I loved it. So I was being inundated with Bible and theology and worship songs and communion and Bible studies and Christian language, Christian music. I even worked at Family Christian Store (laughs) when I was 16. I got a job and was slinging Christian music CDs and categorizing like Amy Grant, like videotapes and imprinting Bibles and wearing as many WWJD bracelets as I could fit on my wrist, as many as I could. And I was a leader in our high school youth group, and I worked summers doing sports camp, which is this camp that my mom started. And we took inner city kids from Sacramento, and we brought them, and we played basketball with them. And we went swimming, and we braided hair, and we just were present with these kids. And it was incredible. It was an incredible program. And everyone that was a part of it loved it. But it was this huge community. I mean, everything about me was about my faith in Jesus. And I felt a huge burden to share Jesus with everyone. If you weren't saved, we were having a conversation about your sin and how you needed to get right and how you needed to ask Jesus into your heart. You needed to accept Jesus so that you would be saved because he loves you. And this was my life, friends. Like, if you could put on a scale, like the percentage of Christian that I that I felt that I was, I was 110%. I was on fire, as we used to call it. On fire. I listened to Christian music. I listened to Christian rap. I remember when my friend introduced me to, oh, now I'm totally blanking on the name. It's the Christian rap group. Do do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. It'll come to me. Anyway, Christian music, Christian books, the Bible, like class. I, I can't explain to you how much it was a part of my life. And has dictated everything that I have done. I went to Multnomah Bible College after I graduated Christian high school, straight to Multnomah. All of my friends went south, down to Southern California, and I went north. I think one other person went to Oregon. And my friends were like, what are you doing? Multnomah Bible College? But I knew that's where I needed to be. Because that is where I was going to find my pastor. And I was going to be a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This was the thing. This was the plan to trade in my BS for my MRS. Can you get it? See what I did there? <laughs> uh, and every year, there was this thing called the pink mist. And it's where all the cherry tree blossoms on campus would bloom and the blossoms would be falling. And if you got hit with the pink mist, you either started dating someone or you got engaged. And Multnomah had this whole like ritual around people getting engaged. It it was crazy, crazy. And I loved it. I loved it. And then 
something happened. So the end of my freshman year of college, my mom was going through her first year of chemotherapy and radiation for cancer. She had been diagnosed with stage four uterine and ovarian cancer right at the end of my senior year of high school. And at the end of my freshman year, she was really sick. So I went home that summer and spent the summer working and doing sports camp. And my mom died. She was given a year to 18 months. That was her prognosis when I came home, and she was gone three months later. My best friend, my rock, my wingman, my idol was gone, and it rocked my world. But because of my Christian upbringing, I knew that God had a plan. And that he gives and he takes away. There's a, a worship song, I think Chris Tomlin sings it, where you know he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. And I would sing songs like, Blessed be the name of the Lord, and I surrender all. And that's, that was how I coped with the loss of my mom, was that God had a plan. She was in a better place. She wasn't in pain anymore. And I believed it. When people would say those things to me, I believed it. I had to. I had to. And I remember being at RA, an RA retreat. So I was a resident advisor my sophomore year of college. I, f- I still feel bad for those girls in my dorm section. I was not the best RA. I'll have you, say, have you know that. My mom had just died. And I was thrust into a world of uncertainty, and I felt different now. Like, my identity had shifted with this this huge loss. And I was at this RA retreat on the coast and had my Bible, and we were having quiet time, and I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't. I tried. Believe you me, I tried. I was not looking for attention. I was not trying to get sympathy. I just literally was crying. My mom had been gone for two weeks at this point. And I remember one of my air quotes friends coming over and saying, Kim, you have to stop crying. And I was like, what? I can't. And she's like, you have to. You are making everyone else uncomfortable and you're ruining this. And it was that moment where I learned that Grief and tears are bad. They separate you. They alienate you. They make everyone else uncomfortable. So I sucked it up from then on. I would cry at night in my dorm room. I would cry in the prayer chapel. I would cry in the corners of campus where no one would find me. Isolated and alone. My church, nobody really knew. So I just hid it, basically. And I didn't let anybody see my grief because it made people uncomfortable. So I got stuck. I got stuck in grief. And this is a gestalt therapy concept that if you don't allow feelings to come up and to take up space, you cannot move through them. The only way through, the only way out is through. And I got stuck in the through and I couldn't get out. And so for a good 
seven years, I churned inside. Just this churning of having to depend on this idea that my mom was in a better place, that God had a plan, and that everything was going to be okay. That even though I had lost my childhood home, my dad had sold off a lot of our our family possessions and moved and gotten married, but it, it was still okay. I found out that my dad has a mental illness after my mom died, but I still believed that you had to honor your father. And so I would put myself in situations where I was hurt over and over again by my dad attempting suicide or being verbally and emotionally abusive. And saying, okay, but the Bible says I have to honor my father, and I keep getting hurt, but I don't know what it looks like to honor him any other way. And I got stuck, and I ended up on my Christian therapist's couch saying, I don't, I don't, I feel like this isn't, I don't feel it. I believe it, but I don't feel it. And that was kind of the fracture point for me with my faith. And after that, it got a little bit harder to be sold out. It got harder to believe. And I went to church and I went back to Bible college after a few years of like wandering, trying to figure out my life and not really knowing what to do. I dated someone that I really liked. He was incredible. But he wasn't a Christian. And I went back and forth on should I date him? Should I not? He's not a Christian. And decided to date him. And then he said, You know, sex is really important to me. I believe that it's a really important part of relationships. I'm not saying we need to have it now, but I'm not waiting until I get married to have sex. And I was, you know, I'd gotten my purity ring when I was 13 years old. That was my birthday present, was this note that. My parents had written that we had made a covenant that day, the four of us, God, my mom, my dad, and me, that I wouldn't have sex before I got married, that I would be pure and holy and perfect for my husband when he came along. And I was torn. This is when I was like, I think I was 21, 22. I was torn because I wanted to be with this person so badly, but he wasn't a believer. And I was waiting to have sex until I got married. And we broke up and I was heartbroken and devastated. And this was just an example of how my faith shaped my decisions, not what I wanted to do, but what I felt like I should do. And I'm not saying that choice was right or wrong. And this is actually the first time I've talked about it publicly. Vulnerability. I'm going to have a huge vulnerability hangover after you listen to this. (laughs) Uh, If you don't know what those are, Brene Brown talks about when you're vulnerable, how afterward you feel a little hungover because you've just put yourself out there before you've opened yourself up to criticism and judgment and all the things, but it's okay. And so after that, I went back to Bible college. Because I decided, okay, time to get my life back on track. I'm, I'm going to recommit my life 
and I broke up with a boyfriend that I had had off and on for three years. We had a really codependent relationship that was awful. He was an incredible man, but we both together just not, not, not good, not good at all. And so back at Bible college, that's when I met my hubby and I finally traded in my BS for my MRS. And I'll have to tell you the story of Tim and Kim next time. We'll, t- we'll talk about it. Basically, I no, you know what? This is important. We're going to talk about this. So Tim was doing career counseling in the career class that I was taking. And he was like 25 and he had his own car and a house and like this full-time job and he was a counselor and I just was smitten from the get-go. Smitten completely. And my friend Corinne worked across the hall from him in the student services building and I told her, Corinne, I think I like him. And she was like, well, if you do, you're going to have to ask him out because he's not going to pursue you. I was like, why not? She said, well, because he's staff and you're a student. And I was like, but, but I'm a Christian and I'm a woman. The man is supposed to pursue me. I can't ask him out. That's like not even scriptural. Like, friends, I'm telling you, 110% Christian here. And she said, well, then you won't date him. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. I prayed about it. I journaled about it. You should read the journal entries. Oh, it's hilarious. I still have them. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I went up the hall and I got my big girl pants on and I walked into his office and I said, hey, so I'm not coming back to school next semester. And if you ever want to go out for coffee, I'd probably say yes. <laughs> and if you know my husband at all, this part will make perfect sense to you. He leans back in his chair, kind of puts his hand on top of or his chin on top of his hand and he looks at me and he goes huh and just sits there and stares at me while I'm like shaking I'm right by the door I'm ready to bolt because I just asked out a man I stepped outside of my Christian like comfort zone and asked out a man and he said can I have your number so I grabbed a piece of paper and wrote my number really big and gave it to him and It took him a week, friends. It took him seven days to make the call. Those were the longest seven days of my life. I remember I was working at Costco at the time, and I was quizzing my customers as they came through my line. I was a cashier, and I said, okay, to any man that came through, I was like, hey, so can I ask you a question? How long would you wait to call someone if they asked you out? And you felt like there was a good connection and a spark, and most of them said 24 hours. I was like, oh, crap. Every now and then I would get the like three to five day answer. But nobody ever said a week. So I thought for sure we were doomed. And then he called. He called while I was at work at Costco. And you could hear from the break room this like, whoa, this huge scream. And, you know, my coworkers knew. And because I'm not usually not a very private person. I get real enthusiastic about things. And so we, we dated for 13 months 
and got engaged in January 2009 and married in April 2009. And my husband is a believer. In fact, as I record this, he's actually at church right now. He helps out once a month with security at Imago Day Church, and that's where he's at, and that's where my kiddo is at right now. And I'm at home, standing in my pajamas, in my closet, with my cup of coffee, talking to you about faith. So, ironies. So that was 12 years ago, and I have struggled mightily with what a good Christian wife should be and what I've turned out to be. There has been this juxtaposition between the Proverbs 31 woman and Kim. And it has fractured my faith because I know that Paul in the Bible teaches a lot about submission and how the the man is the head of the family and the head of the wife and the wife is submissive. And there's so many interpretations of that. But for me growing up, that was what I was taught, is that you save sex for marriage, that you are your husband's property to become one, and that that is how it is supposed to be. And as we get into this later part, I, I beg your indulgence as I strive to articulate the struggle and the story the best that I can. And I might fumble my words and there might be some pauses and I might struggle a little bit because I haven't fleshed this out for very many people yet. And it's not as polished as other parts of my story are. So I beg your indulgence and your patience with me. So it's been a struggle. My marriage has been a struggle. Parenting, oh my gosh, parenting has been a struggle. and connecting with other people has been a struggle. And especially because I live in Portland, Oregon, where we are like the hub for the LGBTQ movement. We are the hub. And the trans movement and homelessness and all sorts of like legalization of marijuana, all of these issues that my faith speaks very strongly about have come up in the last, especially the last 10 years. I feel like there's been some really hard questions that I've had to ask myself. One of my favorite people in the world who, God bless him, he loves Jesus. He loves the Bible. He loves Jesus so much. He served at church relentlessly, has beautiful worship albums. He loves Jesus. And he has tried so hard to love women, but he doesn't. And he recently found his soulmate, who was a man. And I say recently, it's actually been years, but he found that person. And I remember asking myself, how? How does this work? Because the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, and I've been taught that you can't be saved if you're gay. How does this work? And my mind literally just like exploded. Not literally, because I'd be dead. I'm still alive, very much so. But (laughs) metaphorically, it exploded. I didn't know what to do. 
I didn't know how to love these people who chose homelessness. I didn't know how to minister and to witness to people who were struggling with their gender and deciding that who they were born as is not who they wanted to be anymore. And my mind was like, but Genesis says he made the male and female, right? In the Christian world, there was a, a joke, which isn't funny at all, but it went something along the lines of God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And literally, that's like what my brain thought. And I didn't know. I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And so I've wrestled with that. And as I've wrestled with it, it felt like I went from sprinting through my Christian life to kind of jogging, to walking, to one step at a time. And eventually I just stopped. And I remember sitting in church and feeling conflicted because I wanted to be out hiking. I wanted to be outside. I love hiking. I've never felt closer to God than when I'm out hiking. There's something about it. That's what I'm created to do. My body does it well, and that's where I feel most connected. Yet, I was told that I needed to go to church to worship through song. And friends, I don't sing. I don't sing. I remember being like 10 or 11, and there was this episode of Touched by an Angel. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. Touched by an Angel. And the the actress, Roma Downey, was upset, and she was drinking this, like, Irish coffee because she's Irish and thought, didn't realize that it had alcohol. But she got drunk, and she was sitting at the bar, and she was crying. And the angel came and was like, why are you crying? And she's like, I just want to sing. I just want to praise the Lord with my voice, and I can't sing. I have a terrible singing voice. And I remember identifying with that so much. I don't, I don't really like to sing. I never have. I don't have a good voice. I can't. I mean, I can carry a tune, I think. I don't know. But it was always a conflict for me in my adult life because we would sing. We would have group singing. If you've never been to church, most churches have worship time where you sing. There's a band and a worship leader who typically wears plaid, but we won't talk about that. And you sing, and that's how you worship God, is through song. There's no other way to worship God. You have to sing. I remember being in church one time, and this church serves coffee. And so a lot of people have coffee in their hands. And the worship leader gets up there, and she says, Now, everybody put your coffee down so that you can really worship the Lord. And I just stood there, and I clutched my coffee (laughs) with both hands. And I decided at that moment, I'm done. I'm done. I have gone to church every single week since I was a babe, and I'm done. I can't handle it anymore. This is not how I worship. These songs, the songs that we would sing talking about blood and sin and sacrifice and the cross and this being saved in heaven and not going to hell, like these are the songs that we would sing and I couldn't. 
and it had been a process working up to it about how I couldn't handle these songs anymore, and I wouldn't sing them. I would just kind of stand there while everyone else sang. And then there's this moment in church where the pastor says the same thing every week. We don't come alone. We come as a community. So turn and greet your neighbor and introduce yourself. And I, I am a deep connector. I don't do a lot of like, oh, hi, how's it going? Like, I really, I want to get to know you. And so for me, this moment felt so inauthentic to turn and be like, hi, so nice to meet you. I'm Kim. And then that was going to be it. There was nothing further. And week after week after week, meeting people, but not knowing anyone. And that being dubbed community. That is hard for me. And we have gone to Imago for seven years, at least seven years. And I know maybe a handful of people. Now, part of that is my issue for not going to Bible studies and getting involved, and there's reasons for that. But a lot of it comes from this feeling of there's not a genuine sense of community. It feels like there's cliques. And having been in many cliques in church, I know that they exist and I know that they're a thing. I'm just going to stretch a little bit here. I've been holding really still talking about this. Okay. So worship and the, the greeting time, that really bothered me. Um, the messages that were taught were challenging for me in a lot of ways because I didn't agree with a lot of what was being said. And I've come to a place where I struggle with the Bible because it's man's interpretation. It's a book written by men for men. And friends, I'm not well-versed in this patriarchal movement right now. I'm not a feminist. I, I don't know very much about it. But I do know that it lacks a female's perspective. And what would the Bible be like if it was written by women for everyone? And I struggle. And when I read my Bible, I feel like I've lost the ability to read it for myself. All I can read, all I can see is what I've been taught through church and Christian high school, Christian Bible college, I, all I can hear are my professors saying, this is what Jonah means. This is how we read Genesis. This is what Paul really means when he talks about marriage. This is what it means in Revelation. And I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what to do with the Bible anymore. And this is a book, if you open my Bible, that thing is highlighted to the max. It is like it is a well-worn book. There used to be an adage that we used to throw around that would say something like, you know someone's a good Christian and how by how many highlights they have in their Bible. And, you know, if you, if you looked at my Bible, you'd be like, wow, Kim, holy cow. I can quote you huge sections of scripture. I know the, the books of the Bible, I can do them forward and backward. I can tell you theological principles. I can tell you anything, but I cannot tell you how to handle the idea that there are people that are going to perish in hell and there are people who are not. I don't know how to tell you 
what to do with judgment when your one of your dear friends decides that he loves another man. What do you do? Scripturally, you're supposed to call him out on his sin. And if he won't listen, then you bring in a witness. And if he won't listen to the two of you, then you take it before the elders of the church. And there are churches who even have, there's terminology around this. It's affirming or accepting. A church can be affirming and accepting, or they can be accepting and not affirming, or they can be one or the other. There's like a whole thing about this. And what is a Christian supposed to do? And I have for years followed Rob Bell, who I just, wow, (laughs) I love Rob. He is amazing. And he was a pastor who stepped back from being a pastor and started talking about a revolutionary concept called Love Wins. And I read his book and I closed it and I cried because I want to believe that there is no hell. I want to believe that God's love is so big that it's for everyone, regardless of whether or not they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I want to believe that, but the Bible doesn't say that. And I feel like on one hand, I have what the Bible says, and I have what cultural Christianity says, and I feel like I'm in the middle trying to figure out which way to go with this information. And there has been deep, deep shame and guilt because my identity has been based on being a Christian, a believer, a faithful Christ follower, like a Jesus freak. That has been my identity for more than 30 years of my life. I'm going to say 33 years because I'm in my second year of deconstruction. So it finally cracked for me. Like I finally decided to take my, my step back a year ago when my son turned four. It was his first day in the four-year-old's class. And I dropped him off at Sunday school and I picked him up and Coincidentally, this was the same day as the coffee worship debacle. And I picked him up and the teacher said, hey, just so you know, we talked about Cain and Abel today. And if you're not familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, it's about a brother who gets jealous about this from this other brother and kills him. And I said, I'm sorry, (laughs) you talked about Cain and Abel? She said, yeah, we talked about killing and murder and how we don't want to hurt other people. We don't want to be violent. And I said, I'm sorry. Wait a second. You told my four-year-old on his first day in a new class about murder and killing. He doesn't even know what those words mean. We've never talked about that at home before. And you just, that's what you talked about? I'm sorry. Why? And she said, well, because it's a Bible story. And that was it. Something inside of me snapped. And if you're a mama, you know that when you're kids, if somebody like infringes on their innocence, you like freak out. And maybe you don't, but I did. I lost my shit. And 
I wrote an email to the church and I said, I'm sorry, why? And as I stepped back and I looked at it and I looked at his artwork that he brought home from church, because we have it in a little box, and I looked at it and there's pictures of Jesus on the cross. There's pictures of Noah on an ark and people standing outside the ark. People that perished, that died. There's Cain and Abel. And we're telling our kids these stories that are violent, that are bloody, that they don't, I won't even let him watch anything like that on TV. Even he's five and we're still trying to navigate this world of murder and killing people. Yet I take him to church where he should be in my mind safe. And this is what I now have to process with him. And he probably would have, you could argue, he probably would have heard it somewhere else. But I don't feel like church should be a place for that. Why are we talking about this? If you wanted to illustrate not harming another person, there are plenty of ways that you can do that, even using the Bible, that don't involve using an Old Testament story about murder for my four-year-old. And that was the day that I decided I didn't want my son to go to church. And I felt like another piece of my identity got chipped away because always I knew I would be a mother. And I knew that my child would grow up in church and have a similar experience to what I did. And that all shifted and changed. And now I don't want my child to go to church. He's there right now because he wants to be. He asked to go, so he gets to go. I'm not going to say he can't, but I don't want him to. I don't want my husband to go to church. But he does every now and then. I don't want to go to church because I don't know what to do. And so from basically that whole year, so that was 2018 to current. So it was right September 2018 is when this, there's a name for it. It's called deconstruction where I'm taking my identity and what I believe and I'm deconstructing it. And I'm pulling it down and I'm pulling it apart and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to figure out what I am and who I am and what I believe about heaven and hell and salvation and church and worship and God and all of it. I'm trying to distinctly identify what it is between biblical Christianity and cultural Christianity. Who the heck is Jesus and what does he really say? Who is God? Is there only one? Is it just the same name that we all use for universe, spirit, source? Is this God? And what's tricky about this, I actually found my notes. I was cleaning out stuff because we're getting ready to move, and I found a notebook. And it's basically like the title of it is Battling Relativism and How to Handle Discussions with Somebody That's Relativistic. Essentially, how to have conversations with Kim. <laughs> and it's crazy, the notes that I have. And so for every argument that I come up with, I have the answer. I have the biblical and cultural Christian answer for how to handle situations. I'm like, I feel this way. Here's the answer. The problem is, is that the answer doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. And I don't know what to do with that. 
So I've been silently deconstructing. There's maybe my best friend and my husband are the only two people that know about my withdrawal from faith. And finally, I told my mother-in-law and my favorite aunt. And I said, I'm not sure if I'm a believer anymore. And I was met with fear, which only confirmed for me that I was on the right path. I love them so much, and they're just worried about me, and they want me to be saved and to stay in the faith, obviously, and, and, and what have you. But it confirmed for me, why would they be fearful? What do they think I'm going to lose by asking hard questions and from stepping out of what culturally I'm supposed to do? To maintain my salvation, can you lose your salvation? And I just have hard questions. So for the last 16, 18 months, I haven't gone to church. I've hiked. I've slept in. I've had family time. I've read by the fire. I've walked. I've cooked. I've cleaned. I've worked. And I can honestly tell you that I have grown more in the last year than I ever have before. And that doesn't mean that stepping away from your faith means that you're going to grow. I think that I was ready. I was ready to explore what it looks like to not go to church, what it looks like to not be a Christian anymore, to look what it looks like to remove that part of my identity. I think of the movie Inside Out. Disney Pixar movie. Have you seen it? It's this great movie. I love it. Everyone should see it. It's about emotional regulation and all of these like amazing psychoanalytic concepts. But essentially, this 11-year-old girl has these core memories that shape her personality. And she's these islands of her personality. There's family island, honesty island, goofball island, friend island. And I feel like Christianity has been one of my islands. And in the movie, her core memories get removed and those islands start to crumble down into basically like forgetfulness. And I feel like my Christian island has crumbled, which wouldn't be a big deal if it wasn't so much of a part of my identity. It is a huge deal, a colossal deal. And I take it very seriously, and I don't talk about it very often, which is why I am not very polished about it, because I was afraid. I was afraid that people would judge me or say things, because sometimes we, out of our own insecurity about things, we project onto other people, and I didn't want people's projections. But now that I know that's what they are, I'm okay. I'm okay sharing with you this struggle that I have been writing and kind of balancing between what I know to be true and what I don't know to be true. So where does that leave me? Hmm, Where does that leave us? Uh, So the, the deconstruction community is actually pretty big. There's a lot of people that are going through this, and I had no idea. And I discovered some podcasts that are all for people who are deconstructing. 
There's actually even a conference called Evolving Faith that was held a few months ago in Denver. And it's a conference for people who are questioning, like big questioning. And I didn't get to go, but I'm so thankful that there are people who are putting voice to their struggles because this is huge. This is huge. And I'm so excited to start talking about it because I feel like that's going to pave the way to have more conversations with people and more talks about it. So what does that look like moving forward? That's a really good question, especially parenting. (laughs) It's tricky because a lot of my family members are believers and want to promote and teach biblical principles that I do not believe in. So that's something that I get to navigate. And it's really hard. And I feel nervous, but also excited to do something different than how I was raised. And to remove the burden of needing to be a light and let your light shine for Jesus so that other people see you and say, hey, I see that you're different. What do you have? And to be like, I got Jesus. That's what I have. But what if instead people said, hey, you're different. I want what you have. What do you got? And instead to offer something different, not just Jesus. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I'm battling this idea of being relativistic because I have stepped into it full on. And I know what to say to relativistic me. And I don't, I don't want to say those things. I want to believe that God's love is big enough for everyone and that the universe or source or spirit or God is for you and not against you. That there is no saved or unsaved heaven or hell. That love wins. And what does it mean when we say love? What does that look like? For me, it looks like being out in the wilderness, hiking and backpacking and seeing creation firsthand and experiencing it. It means connecting with other people, sharing space with them without judgment without thinking about whether they're sinning or not, to taking that off the table and being able to be present with people and sharing suffering. It looks like sitting next to people who have different faith systems and not worrying about who's right or who's wrong. If you're Buddhist, Mormon, monk, I mean, whatever you are, I want to get to know you because you're a human. You're created. You're on earth. You're worthy of love and acceptance and happiness as you are right now, regardless of what book you base your life on. That's what I want. I want the freedom to love without judgment. And I'm sure you have lots of thoughts about this. And I am curious. And so I'm going to be brave and ask you what your thoughts are. What do you think about this? Where are you at with your faith? What does your faith system look like? 
And if you feel like responding, do it. Kim at CaptivatinglyConfident.com. I read and respond to every single email that I get, which sometimes that takes me a little while, but I will respond. And I'm sorry that I don't have a tidy bow to wrap this up with and to say, and so here's this. Like, I don't know. And I oftentimes have thoughts of like, oh my gosh, if my mom was alive, what would she say? But I also think that if my mom was still alive, this wouldn't be questions that I'm asking. This probably wouldn't be where I'm at. But it is, and she's not. And I get to wrestle with disappointing family members and changing generational stories and healing and learning about what it looks like to be in community without having to judge and with the ability to sit with people and to love LGBTQ, X, they, whoever you are, however you choose to show up in this world, just do it as you. Be you bravely. I used to say that, and I meant, you know, be you in this certain way bravely. But now, say no, be you bravely. Whatever that looks like, however messy it is, that's okay. Just be that. Be you. And do it bravely. And I'm joining you. I'm being brave. And we're going to have more conversations like this. We're going to talk about lots of stuff. We're going to talk about grief and how to hold space for people in grieving, how to grieve, how to get unstuck in grief. We're going to talk about food addictions, and we're going to talk about emotional eating because this is really important stuff. We're going to talk about sex. Ah, we're going to talk about it. It's so exciting and nerving. Oh gosh. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about relationships in your family. How to have boundaries. And what those look like. Spoiler alert. I don't speak to my father. And that's a boundary that I use for self-care. That is how I care for myself. I can honor my father by having a boundary where I don't speak to him. And that's how I honor him. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about parenting and the struggle when you don't really like parenting and when you don't really fit that model mom. We all have that mom inside of our head that we want to be versus like who we really are and how do you give yourself permission to love yourself where you're at. We're going to talk about so much. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about in-laws and we're going to talk about money and we're going to have real conversations about some of these harder issues. So these are reveal episodes and I'm pretty sure we're going to do about one a month. And in the meantime, we're going to keep talking about what we've been talking about on the show for the last year and a half, which is confidence and how to be you bravely and stop shooting on yourself. And what that looks like. My passion is to help women really step into feeling confident in their choices about diet and exercise and personal style. Instead of what they feel like they should be doing, how do they stop shooting and own their own choices? 
and feel empowered and free. That's what this podcast is all about. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to create a safe space for you to get new ideas, to have your mindset challenged, to get some practical tools, especially the first like 10 or 15 episodes of this show. If you go back that far, there's some really practical stuff. We talk about sleep, we talk about nutrition, we talk about exercise very specifically with like tips and stuff. And I like to sprinkle those in because those are actionable items. And a lot of stuff I want to give you just like food for thought, things to chew on. And I want to offer encouragement. I want this podcast to be a place where you come and you feel encouraged. You feel seen and heard and connected and supported and loved because you're worthy of all those things. That's what I want for this show. And moving forward, we're just going to we're going to keep having these discussions, and so I invite you to show up for them, whatever that looks like, wherever you're at, whether it's driving, doing the dishes, on the treadmill, wherever you are, I invite you to come and to receive and to engage. I love it when I hear or when I get emails or Facebook messages or people share episodes on Facebook oh my gosh, or on Instagram, and that seriously makes my day. Because I'm human and I'm sitting here going, who's listening to this? Is anyone being impacted by this show at all? And then somebody will message or I'll see a share or I'll get tagged in a post. And that seriously keeps the show going. As you may have noticed, we don't have any sponsors yet. There's no ads. This podcast is not monetized. I would like to change that. Because I believe in keeping the show going, but in order to do that, we need to generate some gas for this car, you know what I'm saying? So if you have a business and you want to be featured on the show and have a huge ad spot, I'm opening up some spaces for that. And I only want to have people on the show and to sponsor products and services that I believe in. And so if you feel like, oh my gosh, Kim, we would be so aligned and your listeners would benefit from this so much and you have a deal that you want to offer my listeners, message me. Let's talk about what that could look like. I'm not going to have random stuff on here that's not going to serve you. And that's really important to me. And there's lots of exciting stuff coming up too. Lots of stuff. So far, we still have five spots left for the reveal retreat coming up in February in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh my gosh, it's going to be incredible. Revealretreats.com. You can get more information there. Again, we've got five, no, not five, I'm sorry, four spots left. Four spots left. Friends, do not wait to do this. This retreat is all about empowering you to make choices about diet, exercise, and body image from a place of self love and body respect. We're going to teach you how to do that. You're going to connect with other women who are on the same journey and probably make some lifetime best friends. I know the five women that are going and they are incredible. Oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. Revealretreats.com. I've also started doing personal training sessions. Yay! I got certified. Ooh, that was my arm. Did you hear that? I got certified to do personal training back in 2009 and I love it. I love personal training, corrective exercise. I love sustainable fitness and really working on mindset to shift you into a movement mindset, getting your body ready for that. So if you're interested in personal training, holler at me. 
send me a Facebook message or Kim at CaptivatinglyConfident.com. I'd be happy to set up a free session with you. Absolutely. And that is in person in Portland and Vancouver. So would love, love to connect with you about that. We also have some exciting... Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, I'm not even... I wasn't prepared to share this, but I think I'm going to put it out there. Um, I have launched three Captivatingly Confident small group programs, and I love them so much that I want to open it up on a larger scale. So I'm creating a course that you can take at your own pace that's kind of um, dripped out over six weeks. It might be eight. I don't even know yet. But this course is going to involve videos and audio and the private community. It's going to involve one-on-one coaching, group coaching. Friends, it's going to be phenomenal. I'm so excited for that. So if you're interested in that, I've already gotten a few people emailing about it. So make sure you reach out. Let me know like, hey, Kim, I would love to get some info on that and I'll add you to the mailing list for it. And yeah. I also want to remind you about my free guide. It's called Stop Shooting on Yourself, and that's available at CaptivatinglyConfident.com. There's a big uh, button for it where you can sign up and get that. It's a guide that walks you through kind of the surface level process of becoming aware of the shoulds that are keeping you stuck and what to do with them and how to move through them. And you can apply the shoulds to any area of your life, and you can get that free on my website. Just come, give me your name and your email, and I will send you the guide. Okay, there it is. My very first public account of my faith journey. Holy cow, I'm so excited to see what happens with this. I would love your feedback. Hey, if this episode meant something to you, or if you have listened to other episodes, I invite you to share them. You never know who needs to hear what you've heard. And if somebody pops into your brain, just send them a quick text with the link or shoot them a, tag them in a Facebook post. It is so important that we share stories and that we continue to spread this message of hope and this message of being you bravely. And what does it look like to be you in your most authentic self? Okay? All right. I love you. I hope that you have an amazing rest of your day. May you go forth walking in your truth and knowing that you are worthy and deserving of love, acceptance, and happiness as you are right now. I'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Captivatingly Confident. I am so excited that you're here and investing in yourself. If you want to learn more about Captivatingly Confident, you can visit my website, captivatinglyconfident.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at kim.ludeman. Thank you so much for hanging out today. If you would like to, I invite you to subscribe to the show and also to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Every single review means so, so much to me, and it helps to get the word about Captivatingly Confident out and to help change women's lives. I'll see you next time.